Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and you say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And your friend answers from within, Do not bother me. The door's already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Gospel of the Lord. I always wonder all the same things about this passage from Luke's Gospel whenever I read it. The same things wondered over and over and over again by faithful people from generation to generation, like about how certain Jesus seems to be of God's willingness and God's ability to answer prayers, like about how everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks gets their door opened for them. And I wonder about that every time I read this passage because I don't really buy it. <laughs> Not everyone receives whatever they want. Everyone doesn't find always what they're looking for. The doors don't always open every time we knock. But I wondered this time around too about what those first disciples were after in the first place in that moment when they go to Jesus and ask him to teach them how to pray. If you were here last week, or if you remember the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus was at Martha's house. And while Martha was busy running around with all sorts of things to do, Mary, her sister, sat still and quiet, listening at the feet of Jesus. And when Martha, the busy one, asked Jesus to make her sister Mary, the slacker, give her a hand, Jesus surprises all of them by praising Mary for getting it right, suggesting that there was something to this whole sitting and silence and humble listening that Mary was up to. And then today we hear Jesus, not long afterward, 
in this conversation with his disciples after having been in a certain place praying, presumably being silent, still, humbly listening to God, just like Mary had done not long before. And we're told this is when one of those disciples comes and says, Lord, teach us how to pray. So I wonder if maybe they don't just want in on the prayer thing. I wonder if they noticed the kudos that Mary had received. And we also know that this wasn't the first time or the only time that they'd seen Jesus go off somewhere to a certain place set apart all by himself to pray. So I imagine they were quite aware of the difference that this made in his life. What if all that wisdom of his came from his ability to listen first to what God was saying to him? What if all of his power came from his willingness first to sit humbly in the presence of his maker? What if all of his stamina came from his ability to sit down and shut up and be still in the first place? What if all of his wisdom and understanding, all of his counsel and might, all of his presence of mind, all of his patience and grace and power to forgive, what if all of that grew out of those moments that he spent receiving whatever he got during the time he spent in prayer? Who wouldn't want that? Lord, teach us to pray. But I think the church in the world, and I believe professional prayers like me, if you will, and I know that the liturgical police, those men and women who put too many rules around what can or can't or should or shouldn't be done or said or spoken in worship, I think all of that has turned the practice of prayer into something like a magic trick or a secret recipe that won't bear fruit or yield results or have meaning even if it's not done in just the right way with just the right words for only the right reasons and prayed by exactly the right person. And what I hear Jesus saying is that's not true either. Yes, he gives some pretty clear suggestions, some words and some ways to go about this praying thing, things that we have turned into the Lord's Prayer, right? Father, hallowed be thy name, which is just a matter of posture and perspective, if you ask me. It's a way of lowering ourselves, humbling ourselves, placing ourselves in the proper place at the feet of and at the mercy of our Maker. And your kingdom come. That seems like a catch-all to me a time saver, if you will, because if God's kingdom were to come, the need for the rest of whatever we could possibly imagine to pray for wouldn't be necessary. It covers everything, your kingdom come, that we might miss, and it makes up for everything we might get wrong. But being that the kingdom hasn't come in all its fullness just yet, we're encouraged to pray then, give us each day our daily bread. In other words, in the meantime, while we're still waiting for this kingdom to come, give us what we need to get by and teach us to trust that you will. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those around us. Or help us to do unto others what we pray you will do for us. 
And finally, when we don't live up to those expectations, when we can't forgive, when we can't love our neighbors as ourselves, when we don't turn the other cheek, spare us the consequences, God. Save us from the time of trial because we couldn't bear it otherwise. But other than all that, rather than make up a list of rules, rather than hand out a script or a hymnal or a worship bulletin, rather than do the praying on their behalf, Jesus says, ask, search, knock, and then he promises them that that will work. And I already told you, I don't really believe that that's true. But I learned a new thing, an enlightening thing, a very refreshing thing from Rachel Held Evans when a group of us read her book, Inspired, earlier this year. Because this ask, knock, search bit is hard to swallow, right? It seems too simple, too easy, too pie in the sky, and like something every single one of us has evidence to disprove. Who among us hasn't asked for something in prayer that never came? Who among us hasn't searched and scoured and sought an answer that we never found? Who among us hasn't knocked on a door that never opened and that also never turned into a friggin' window like your grandmother's pillow says it will? So bear with me for a minute, because Rachel Held Evans wasn't talking about prayer exactly. She was talking about scripture when she talked about this ask, search, knock stuff. She said, if you're looking for Bible verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to honor and celebrate women, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to wage war, there are plenty. If you're looking for reasons to promote peace, there are plenty more. If you're looking for an outdated and irrelevant ancient text, that's what you will see. If you are looking for truth, that's exactly what you will find. And then she says this. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not what does this say, but what am I looking for? I suspect Jesus knew this when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Again, Rachel Held Evans isn't talking about prayer. She's talking about our approach to scripture in general, that how we begin, our perspective, our desired outcome, what it is we're looking for, determines what we will find in the Bible. And I think this might be Jesus' point where prayer is concerned, too. And I think it's why, perhaps, he says all of that really important stuff first before the ask, search, knock bit. Maybe he's saying that if and when we begin our prayers with the proper posture of reverence and humility before God— our Father who art in heaven. When we start with humility about ourselves, hallowed be your name, not mine. 
when we begin with the truth about what and how much we actually need, give us each day our daily bread, not more, not less, but enough for today. When we start by acknowledging our own sins and our great potential for more of them, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. And when we start with our hope for redemption and salvation in the end, thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory forever. When all of that is our state of mind, when all of that is our heart's posture, when all of that is our prayer's purpose, when we approach our conversations with God with that sort of humility and hope, then what we're asking for evolves. The doors we're knocking on are different. And the stuff we're seeking for ourselves and in this world will change in holy ways, unselfish ways, hopeful, faithful, merciful ways. Ways that make God smile and allow us to see that God really does respond, not always with the stuff of this world, fish, snakes, eggs, or stones, but with the everlasting, life-giving, eternal things of God's Holy Spirit. Amen.